because I'm holding this mic instead of having one on my face, but I forgot to put it on, and it's too late now, so we're going with this. So I'm going to see how this works. Probably not well, but we're going to try. Um, we're in week five of 40 Days of Prayer. We've got one more week, and then uh, if you saw my email this week, we're actually going to be jumping into the book of Ruth, which I'm really excited about. Uh, so just as a plug for that series coming up in a couple weeks, I want to just invite you, challenge you, exhort you uh, to read through the book of Ruth in one sitting, uh, maybe a couple times in the next couple weeks. Uh, it really will take maybe 20 minutes. It's not a very long book. Uh, it's a really interesting story. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different ideas about what Ruth means, um, and so I'm excited to get into that. There's a, a, a few different uh, interpretive ideas about what the, Ruth, the book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is really all about. And so I've been exploring those just in preparation. And so uh, excited about that. Bob's going to be um, taking a week and, and, and doing that. And I asked Bob if he was interested in doing the book of Ruth. And he said, I've taught a course on it. And I said, well, well then, you know, you're ready. And so uh, I'm excited to be uh, doing that series. And so I just want to encourage you to read the book of Ruth over the next couple of weeks as we get ready. So uh, if you remember from last week, we switched themes uh, and we did the uh, awakening to the mission of Christ last week, because we had Dan with us. And if you weren't here or you missed that, I would just encourage you, uh, go on the church website and you can click on the archive that we have there and you can hear his message from Sunday. And also you can hear what he shared on Saturday, which he got into a little bit more detail. Uh, and so if you missed that, not only did you miss crepes, uh, but you missed Dan's time of sharing. And so I want to just invite you uh, to go and check that out. So we're going to focus on today, a reawakening to the church of Christ. Uh, and so what, what's interesting to me is the order that we actually ended up in as a church. So we did the mission of Christ, and now we're doing the church of Christ as we spend these 40 days of prayer. And when I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, that's kind of more of the order that things go in in the world. That the mission of Christ, you see this in the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus goes out as his followers live on mission. Uh, God uses different things to scatter his people and, and bring the message of Jesus, their king, with them. And so they go out, and they live on mission, because that's the DNA of who we are. We're sent ones, and so they go out in the New Testament, and then as those followers come to Jesus, they end up coming to one another as well, and they form a community, uh, and then that community becomes what we would call a church. And so that's kind of the pattern that we see. But then we also have to say, then, that that community begins uh, to worship Jesus together as they're living on mission together, and then so we see the establishment of the church, but then the church ends up sending people out on mission. And so uh, what we've said for us is that these three things that we see, this worship, this community, this mission, that's why they're on the signs around us in the room, these are not uh, in a hard linear order, but they are kind of the rhythms of the life of a Christian, that we, we worship Jesus with not just our mouth, but our whole life. We live in community together, and then we're sent out on mission, and all of those are happening as a rhythm of who we are at the same time. And, and so... Uh, we call that the church, and, and so that's what we're going to focus on today, which is the church of Christ. And, and so uh, what I also want to preface this, preface by saying, is that when we talk about the church, there's two broad categories, right? There's the church, that's the local expression of the body of Christ, or the family of God, which is the metaphor we're going to really dig into today. There's that local expression, and obviously this is incredibly important to us. The local expression of the church is really, really, really important to us. What it means to be an individual member of a church has all kinds of 
individual things and implications for us. And so that's incredibly important. Then there's kind of the universal aspect of the church, right? I, I usually say it like this, the big C church, right? I mean, the capitalized church global over all time, the global people of God over all times and all places since Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Uh, now, I, I read a couple interesting, there, there's a couple of, I think it's two of the four parts he's going to write are out. Uh, but if you know the name Timothy Keller, he's been writing on the, the evangelical church and how it seems like to us as Americans it's in decline, but if you look globally, actually it's doing really amazing things. So I want to uh, encourage you to find the, just, just Google Timothy Keller article and you, you'll find it. Uh, that's really encouraging, right? We're part of the Big C Church. We're part of the global expression of God's presence in the world. And so one of the metaphors in the Bible that helps us understand what we mean when we talk about the church is the metaphor of a family. The body is in there as well. That's another really important one. But the metaphor of a family is really important. So let me ask you, as a family, uh, is a family a group of people who are related or is a family individual people? Right? The answer to that is yes and. It's both of those things are true. A family is individual people. Right? So let's take it to the body metaphor. I was talking with my wife Amy about this. Uh, if I look at my arm, I would say that's, that's part of my body, right? But if my arm got cut off and I was looking at it, I wouldn't think that arm is my body. So it's, it's a both and. And in the family metaphor, uh, no individual person is the family, but there can't be a family without the individual people in the family. And so both of these things is true. So to talk about a family is to talk about a group, but inherently also the individuals that make up that family unit. So to talk about the church is to talk about the local expression of the big C global church, the universal church, the little C Catholic church, right? Over all time and all places is God's people since Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And to talk about the global big C church is to talk about a local expression of it. It's both. You can't get one without the other. And so today we're going to focus on the idea the sort of the, the big idea of the big C church. And we're going to use nuanced language to do that. And so that's the plan. That's what we're going to try to do today. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, I'm going to be in a few different places, but to start with Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 13 to 19. Uh, if you didn't have, bring a Bible, there's uh, probably a blue one around you somewhere in the chairs. And Matthew 16 is where we're going to start. It's a lot harder with just one hand to manage the drink. <laughs> Matthew 16, I'm going to read from the ESV. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, the disciples, said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I, at my desk, I'm kind of scatterbrained, so I have a scratch pad of paper that I have to keep at my desk to write ideas down. Otherwise, I'll have a hundred of them that are good. And I won't remember any of them. And so in order to help me stay focused, I have a scratch pad. And so one of the things I scratched down this week was really want to dig into this binding and loosing. Like, what, what is that? There's a lot there. 
Uh, that's not what we're going to do today. But for me, I was like, man, we got to do something on that. Uh, the keys of the kingdom and binding and loosing. They're, they're going to be kind of there on the periphery of the sermon today, but I would love to just dig into those. So look for that. So let me pray, and then we're going to dig into this text and a few others. Jesus, I, I ask that you would um, reveal what you want us to see about who we are as the church, as your body, as your family, as your representatives, as your ambassadors in this world, in this place. We know that you created this world good. You called it good, but that it's fallen. And so you're calling us to something else, to a different way to be human. And we want to be, we want to live into that calling so that we can live into your presence and bring your presence here to earth. We want to see your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we ask you to show us what you want us to see today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we said earlier, when it comes to something like the church, we need ways of talking about it, right? Because if I say the church, or even within the church, if I say discipleship, that can mean 150 different right things. So we need language to help us grasp the fullness. And another way of talking about the church, as we said, and again, I mean the big C church, is to talk about it in terms of its function in the world. So listen to these words from uh, Dr. Tony Evans. And anytime I read a quote from him, I can hear his voice in my head reading it. I don't know if you've heard him preach, but it's a very distinct voice. He said this, God has an embassy in history. It's called the church. The church is God's embassy to bring the values of the homeland into a foreign country. The church is not to represent the country it's in. It's to represent the country that it's from. That's a really, really helpful description. Now, this embassy language also fits really well with the description of us as individual followers of Jesus being what? Ambassadors. We are ambassadors. Now, the thing about an embassy and ambassador is that they don't represent themselves. They don't represent themselves. An ambassador is individually what a embassy is collectively, right? That's a representative of a greater authority from elsewhere than themselves. And so in our case, we're an embassy of a kingdom, and we represent a king who is coming. And we, we represent not ourselves as the church, we represent our king. And when we forget this, when we lose sight of this reality, we end up no longer being able to be what we were supposed to be. It's like giving up our inheritance, and so we end up becoming a religious institution. We end up becoming a shell of what God intends for us to be here on the earth. We're supposed to be salt and light, right? But notice from the text that when we step into this calling, as we said, binding, loosing, and keys, we're given the power of the king in order to do what the king wants. And so here's what I, where I want to go with this text from Matthew that we read earlier. I just want to emphasize who it is that's doing the building of the church, the big C church. There, there's some interesting stuff going on in the language that Jesus uses in verse 18. So let me look again at it. This is Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, this is Jesus talking, I tell you to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So maybe you've heard this stuff before, but there's some interesting language stuff going on with Peter's name and the word rock, right? You, you've probably gotten some of this before. There's room for actually difference of opinion here of what this is, what, what's going on here. Um, there, there's two different words. There's Petra and Petros uh, that Jesus is using. Uh, but the way I've heard this taught is that Jesus is kind of doing a play on words where he is saying that Peter is the rock on which Jesus is going to build the church. Uh, the, our brothers and sisters from other streams of Christianity really 
emphasize this point, and so Peter plays a very, very prominent role. Now, this works grammatically, and it's true that Peter plays a very essential role in the history of the church. He, he plays a vital role, but what to me seems like a more compelling argument as to what Jesus is doing here in this text, a more compelling way of interpreting this, is that Jesus, what he's referring to is actually the confession that Peter made back in verse 16, where Peter says that Jesus is the Christ, right? And Jesus then tells him, you didn't come up with that yourself. God revealed that to you. And so Peter proclaims Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's this proclamation that Jesus says God opened Peter's eyes to that the church is actually built on. So the church is built on the reality that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's our king. That's what the church is built on. So here's the point. The church is not built on a man-made foundation, but it's built on the foundation of Christ. He's what? The chief cornerstone. There's all kinds of places in the New Testament. Christ is both the foundation in Acts 4, Acts 12, 1 Corinthians 3. Christ is the head of the church, Ephesians 5. Peter himself, later on in his first letter, says what I, what I said a minute ago, that, that Christ is the chief cornerstone. All this language. So it's a mistake, I think, uh, it's a mistake that Jesus is going to give any of those roles over to Peter. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the rock. And again, there's a sense in which the apostles do, did play a foundational role, right? What did the church first do? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching about Christ. So they played their role in Ephesians 2, but the role of primacy is reserved for Jesus alone. Read Colossians chapter 1. Everything is about Jesus. So Jesus' words here, I think, are maybe best interpreted as, again, a play on words in that a foundational, boulder-like truth that Petra, that's the one word for rock, came from the mouth of the one who was called a small stone, or Petros, Peter. And so the church was purchased by and belongs to Jesus alone. And when we get off from that, right, I'm preaching to myself as somebody who leads in the church, when we get off from that, we disconnect ourselves and our local expression of the Big C Church from what that Big C Church is meant to be. We disconnect ourselves from it. Now, once we understand and remember whose church the church is, it's the chief shepherds. It's, not, it's no under-shepherds church. It's not my church. It's not our district's church. It's not our denomination's church. It's the church of Jesus. We can then begin to think through what place does the church have in God's plan for this world that he created? Well, what's the place of the church? Well, as we said earlier, right, that the church is a family, it's a body, but it's an embassy of another kingdom. And so therefore, the place and the role of the church is to reflect and to promote the culture of that kingdom in the place where the embassy is. On an individual level as believers, on a local level as the Little C Church, and then on a grand scale as the global church. So the place of the church is to reflect the kingdom of heaven back into this world. And there's a couple ways I want you to see it, right? It's Jesus' prayer comes to mind here, his famous one. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Not, Lord, may we escape one day and go to heaven. Your kingdom come. God's going to renew this place. And so here's a couple things we want to see. We as the church have values that stand in contrast to the values that we see in the culture, right? Now, 
there's probably three or four of them that are popping into your head right now that are like the hot button ones, uh, but there's more. And I, and I don't want to touch on those because you probably know uh, what you think about that, but I just want to touch on a couple that I think are relevant, right? He, here we're talking about inside the church. This is what we're talking about. In the culture of the embassy, in, in the church, inside the family of God, we don't play by the same rules as those who are not yet in the family of God. The, the, those rules, what is normal out there is not normal in the kingdom of heaven. And we have to be careful because when we begin to see the norms of the world that we live in as the norms for ourselves, we have been, uh, maybe a good word to use is colonized by that culture instead of representing the kingdom culture to that culture. So inside the family of the church, we don't cancel each other. Right Now, I know if I say cancel culture, all kinds of things start going off. The temperature raises in the room. We start thinking about who's canceling who and which side is canceling. Let me just, everybody's canceling everybody, and it's killing us. Right? Now, I know you think your side doesn't cancel the other side, but everybody's canceling everybody right now. It's a zero-sum game, and it's not good for our souls. But it's not that way in here. I'm reminded of Jesus' words. When he told the disciples, you, you hear that their, their leaders lord it over them, but it shall not be so with you. And I think you could say that here. You, you see out there that people cancel each other all the time, but it shall not be so in here. Not in the church. When, when you come into the family of the church, there's no canceling. The Bible is clear that we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus and so the foundation that we operate on is a foundation of grace, and grace is what we deal in. Your value as a member of the family of the church is tied to whose family this is, and not what you do or don't do, what you say or don't say. The family of the church is built on the reality, listen, that all of us got into the family in a way that explicitly prevents us any of us from being proud that we're in here, right? If you're part of the church, the Bible is explicitly clear that you have nothing to be proud of except the blood of Jesus that he shed for you when you didn't deserve it because he loved you in spite of you. That's how you got in the family of God. So if that's the case, who am I to look at another grace-purchased family member in the church and tell them they're not worthy to be here. I can barely believe I'm in here. That God rescued me. He rescued those of us who were far from him, living in licentious ways, and rescued those of us who were near to him, living under the law, thinking we could redeem ourselves. Both of us are rescued by his blood. I can't even believe I'm in here. So who am I to judge anybody else for the way they got in here? I have nothing to be proud of except Christ. Let's keep going. Inside the church, inside the family of God, there are no outsiders. And, and here's what I mean by that. There are no other categories of primary importance inside the family of the church other than by grace through faith. That's the only category there is. Paul in Galatians 3 tells us the only category that's of value in terms of membership into the family of the church is that you are in Christ. And the way you gain, the way you become in Christ is by faith in Jesus. And he does work. That's it. So there's no ethnic, there's no national, there's no economic, there's no intelligence, there's no talent. There's not even spiritual maturity categories in the church 
that separate us status-wise from one another. Everything else is secondary to the reality that Jesus is the king of the kingdom, which we as the church represent here and now. That's the only category there is. Now, outside the family of God, oh, man, we like to play class games all over the place, right? Down to little petty stuff, like which brand of shoes do I got? That makes me better than everybody. Oh, I got the newest iPhone. I'm cooler, right? Not really. Outside the family of the church, there's a million ways to play. There's the big ones, the hot topic ones. Which side are you on? Which thing do you affirm or not affirm? There's all kinds of little ones, too. And so in our sinfulness, we love to find ways to think of ourselves as better than other people in small, even hidden, insidious ways that we don't even realize. But in the family of the church, there's no categories. There's just the church. Right? Paul says, there is now no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. I heard another pastor from Canada this week get up and give his translation, and he, I have to give him credit for this, he said, there is now no master unmasked, vaxxed or unvaxxed. Right? He, he took it there. And so he says there's now no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male nor female. Now, what I'm not saying from the context here, what we're not saying is that those distinctions are completely meaningless. Oh, we think those distinctions are beautiful. Your ethnicity, you bring a lot to the church with that. And we want it. Your gender, God made you that way. He made you good. And we think it's good to be those things. The point is that those distinctions don't take primacy over the unity in Christ that we experience and display inside the family of the church. Being a certain ethnicity is meaningless in terms of your value in the kingdom of heaven. It's meaningless in terms of your value and your worth. Now it brings things to the table that we want. Your social status or even your God-given good gender is meaningless in terms of your value in the kingdom of heaven, in the church. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. In the family of the church, we all share the same value. And that value is that we have been loved by and adopted into the family of the king of kings. And so to make any other category distinction in the church, listen to me, to make any other category distinctions inside the church is actually to rebel against that king and think that we know better than him what should happen in his kingdom. And we don't. There are no distinctions in the church. And so the last point here in regards to the place that the church has in the world is that the church's place doesn't take the place of earthly governing bodies. That's not the role of the church. Our role is to be a reflection of the values of another kingdom, not to try and rule over the kingdoms of this world. So, let me show this to you from what uh, might be a text you've heard before. I know I've, we've preached through it before. Uh, God has a place in his rule and reign over all things for earthly governments. So don't hear me saying throw all governments out. That's not at all what I'm saying. There, there is a place for earthly government, but we can't make a category mistake and think that Jesus wants to reflect his kingdom here on earth by taking over earthly governments. He's already chosen his way of doing what he wants to do, and that's through his body, his family, the church. So let me read from Colossians 1 as we start to wrap up. For by, speaking of Christ, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or primary. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we see that, yes, Jesus created earthly governments. And when he created everything, what did he say? It's good. So, governments are not inherently bad. That, that's what the rulers and thrones and dominions are in this text. But notice that in the end, those are not the way that all things are reconciled back to God. Verse 18 says that Jesus is the head of his own body, the church. And so now stay with me. We, we've switched metaphors for the church from family to body, but the church is the family of God, yes, but another way to talk about the church the church is the body, right? And so we're all members of this body. We are one, and Christ is the head. And so Christ is the head of the body. And then in verse 20, we see that it's through Jesus that God will reconcile all things to himself. So what does this mean? It is not through the dominions and rulers and authorities right there in that verse. That's not what he said. It's through the body of Christ. And so that's our role. That's our place. Policies and laws have rescued nobody from their sin. Right? Now there are good policies and bad policies. And Christians have an obligation to play our part as good citizens. So do policies and laws have their place? Absolutely, yes. They play a vital role in holding evil back. So do we as a church family, this local church, have a calling to engage in the system and the system of policies and laws we call the government? Yes. I think as American Christians, we have a unique, a unique weight on us to do that because we are self-governed. So that's really important. Don't hear me saying just abandon all of that. But don't make a category mistake and think that the laws and the policies and the governments of the Babylons of the world are the way that God is going to reconcile all things to himself. Jesus didn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against a, po a particular political structure or nation state. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the global church throughout history. Now, as I thought about, like, how do we wrap this up then? And maybe give some practical ideas, right? Because you're supposed to do that when you preach application points so that on Monday morning people can think about what to do. Right? I was reminded of a text in 1 Peter chapter 2, and what I love about this section, it's a familiar section uh, for, for some of us, what I love about this section is I think it really lets us live in the tension that we're in. We're, we live in a tension. The already not yet kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is also coming. And, and you feel that tension every day when you go out there, right? And you live in God's good world that he created, and you say, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. But I know the king. And I'm going to live in a way that reflects his kingdom so that maybe I can play my part in reconciling all things back to God. And so I love this, that it, that it lets us live in the tension we're in, and yet it gives us actually some practical steps, especially in the closing words, for how to live in light of this reality of what the church is in the world. So let me just read this section to you as we end our time. This is 1 Peter 2, 2 verses 9 through 17. He says this, Pay attention to who you are in this metaphor. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All of that is a summary of the church. This is who you are. And this is your status in verse 11. Beloved. That's your status. That's your name to God. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among those who yet to know Jesus, for our context, honorable. Reflect the kingdom of heaven so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. It didn't say follow the institutions when they make sense. Or else we'd never follow anything, right? The systems are broken. We know that. But what does he say? Be subject for the Lord's sake. It's his church. To every human institution. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Church, you are free. You are not slaves to sin anymore. You are not slaves to this world anymore. You are citizens of another kingdom. So be free. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. And here's the practical application for tomorrow morning when you're sitting at your desk or driving to work. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And yes, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the fact that we can gather as an expression of your church and then be sent out, be scattered, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we thank you for, gosh, what a privilege we have to be your presence in the world, your mouthpiece in the world, the way that you are announcing the gospel of your kingdom that's coming, that, that, that people can be forgiven. It doesn't matter what they've done. Come to your son and they're in. And so I pray that you would make us a people who would unlock the keys of the kingdom that we have, that we would... Uh, operate in the power that you've given us, the power of love, peace, and joy, and be the presence of Jesus in this world. Holy Spirit, we ask for you. We need you. We ask you to live in us. We know that you do, but we ask you to make yourself aware, make, make us aware to your presence in us this week. Would you give us the words to say at that right moment when we need to say it, when, when we have a friend who's struggling, or there's a situation, or we see somebody who looks like they need something, Holy Spirit, would you prompt us? And would you make us bold in that moment to, to speak words of life? We are your church in the world. We are your body, your family, your presence in this world. And so we, we want to be what you've called us to be. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.